And I'll say the question if we could say together the answer as a congregation. And so, dear Christian, how is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, those who, though called Christians, profess unchristian teachings or live unchristian lives, and who, after repeated personal and loving admonitions, refuse to abandon their errors and evil ways, and who, after being reported to the church, that is, to those ordained by the church for that purpose, fail to respond also to the church's admonitions, such persons the church excludes from the Christian community by withholding the sacraments from them, and God also excludes them from the kingdom of Christ. Such persons, whether promised or demonstrating genuine reform, are received again as members of Christ and of his church. Well, to see this topic in God's word, I invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13 will be our scripture reading. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. And this is God's word. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that the word, that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So far the reading of God's holy word. May he write this word upon our hearts this evening. Well, I wonder what you think of when you hear that word discipline. Uh, perhaps when you hear that word, you shrink back in your chair a little bit and you think about the discipline that you received from your own mother or for your own father. Uh, maybe some of you think about being disciplined in your day-to-day life, maybe disciplined with your Bible reading, disciplined with your prayer life. Maybe you think about being disciplined in regards to eating well or to exercise or to your work schedule. I think we tend to think of discipline primarily in negative terms. Uh, Discipline is mostly associated with punishment 
or with maybe a restricted lifestyle where you can't eat too much sweets or you have to go to bed early. And in the context here, in the book of Hebrews, the preacher is talking about what we call the race of faith. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, he talks about running with endurance this race that has been set before us. And in this race of faith that we are on as Christians, we need discipline if we are to endure. And at the heart of this passage, beloved, is this call to receive and to even cherish God's loving discipline in our lives, to, in, to, to endure and to welcome the things that God brings upon us because we come to know that his discipline flows from his love. And there's also a purpose behind it. Verse 5 again, the Lord says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And the goal of this sermon is to help us indeed to cherish and to even welcome the discipline that God brings upon us in our lives. But before we dig into why we can do that, we want to just consider very briefly what God's discipline is and how we often respond to it. And we see that in verses 3 through 5. Again, verses 3 and 5, we read, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Uh, That word discipline in Scripture is a rich word. It doesn't always have to do with punishment, but it has to do with training and with nurturing someone in the faith. In the context, notice verse Four, this discipline is associated with the trials that God's people are going through in the book of Hebrews. And the preacher to the Hebrews says in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. In other words, although the Hebrew Christians are suffering various trials for their faith, although they're even being persecuted for their faith, he's saying you haven't suffered like Jesus yet by shedding your blood, and you haven't suffered like all of those other Christians in Hebrews 11 some of whom who gave their life for their testimony of faith. Discipline comes upon us in various forms. One of the ways God disciplines his children is by various trials, by persecution, by suffering, or by some kind of bodily affliction. God could send upon us intense trials, and these trials are meant to strengthen our faith and to strengthen actually our reliance upon God. Here Paul's words from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Another way that God disciplined comes to us is by allowing us to taste the consequences of our sin. When we make a foolish decision that doesn't honor the Lord, sometimes God allows us to taste the consequences of our sin, tasting the emptiness, tasting the shame, or maybe some other earthly consequence. Moreover, beloved, God's discipline, it's meant to wake us up to what's truly important in life. When a loved one suddenly dies or when we receive a diagnosis that's unexpected, these types of things have a way of putting the smelling sauce under our nose and waking us up to what's important in life, how we're spending our time, what we're living for. How do we often respond to the discipline God brings into our life? 
There's two things that the preacher highlights here that he calls us not to do. Verse 5, he says, first, don't despise God's discipline. Are the words in the NIV, don't make light. We can live with a level of defiance or ingratitude to God, and we can think about discipline simply as something we just have to get through, right? Just, you know, get through the trials. That's all God is calling you to do. Another way we can respond, verse 5, is we can become discouraged. We can despise discipline. We can become discouraged. Or the NIV says we can lose heart. When trials come, we can think God is punishing me. God is against me. Especially if we are an anxious person or maybe we struggle with depression, we can think God has abandoned us. He's turned his face against me. Finally, he's done with me. These are the natural responses that we have as God's people. And see, the preacher is coming to this congregation, the Hebrews, and he's calling them to value and to cherish the discipline that God our Father is bringing. And the question tonight is, how can we do that? How can we view discipline in that particular light? Well, the first thing the preacher tells us in this text is that God's discipline flows from his love. Verse 6. God's discipline flows from his love because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Again, we often think of discipline as coming from wrath or from anger, because maybe in the home, that was the dominant note behind the discipline that we experienced. Discipline came maybe out of extreme anger or a fit of rage without any kind of loving care. Beloved, we're reminded in God's word that that is sinful And that is wrong. Paul tells parents in Ephesians 6, raise your children in the discipline of the Lord, primarily a word to the fathers. But in the same breath, he tells them, and do not provoke your children to wrath. In other words, we're to reflect God's loving heart, even in our discipline. The words of the Puritan John Owen, love precedes discipline. Our hearts are prone to wander as Christians at times, But God loves us as a kind father. He seeks us out and he leads us in the way that we should go by his Holy Spirit as we go through various trials. Romans 5 verse 3, Paul writes, Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice in this text in verse 5 and 6, you see this, beloved. Discipline flows from his love, and it actually is a sign that you are part of God's family. The preacher quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, and he shows us that this text in Proverbs is actually a picture of God speaking to his children. And again, the word says, have you forgotten the exhortation which he speaks to you as sons? And again, verse 7, God is dealing with you as sons. Our sonship is sprinkled all throughout this section because God wants to remind us of this new status that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we have been adopted into the family of God by grace on account of what our elder brother, the Lord Jesus, has done for us. The gospel message is how that perfect, obedient son, the Lord Jesus, took the place of children of wrath like you and me. 
so that we can be brought into the very family of God, near to the very heart of God, and treated as sons, that we would actually be loved like Jesus, John 17, and that God would look upon us in favor and in grace. And dear sisters in the Lord, that title for sonship is not just a male term, but in scripture, it's a term associated with our inheritance, something that both male and female believers enjoy, the status of being God's children. If I could be a little bit ecumenical and quote from the Westminster Confession of Faith, Article 12, it speaks of the blessings that we enjoy as God's adopted children. And listen to what it says here in the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says believers are made partakers of the grace of adoption by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Here's some of these blessings. They have God's name put upon them. They receive the spirit of adoption. They have access to the throne of grace with boldness. They're enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are pitied. They're protected, cared for. Listen to this one. And they're chastened by him as father, yet they are never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption. You see, discipline means, beloved, you are part of the family. And this also means that behind our discipline, there is no wrath. That God is not cursing us. He's not bringing judgment upon us if we are part of the family. The gospel of Jesus informs how God relates to us, even in our discipline. That when God disciplines us, he's not treating us like a slave that needs to be whipped or like an employee that needs to be scolded. But God is treating us as a son and a daughter who needs to be nurtured and led in love. Again, sometimes the Lord allows us to taste the consequences of our sin to show us the foolishness of those choices. But thanks be to God, beloved, God does not give us over to our sin. You know, a parent might say to a child, you know, hey, don't touch that hot stove or don't touch the fireplace. You're going to burn yourself. But sometimes, right, a child has to learn the hard way, taste the consequences of their actions to really know what mom or dad is saying. And the same is true with us. God not only wants us to remember these things, but he wants us to know that he is refining our faith through the trials that he brings upon us to make us rely more on him. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7 puts it like this. It says, You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's discipline flows from his love. And you look at verse 8, God's discipline is actually a form of his love. Verse 8 says, If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Again, for unbelievers... God simply gives them over to their own desires, to their own sinful and foolish ways. Children who are not disciplined are neglected and they're left to their own devices. This is why Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but who loves him is diligent to discipline him. God's discipline flows from his love and it's a form of love. 
for both adults and for children, God comes to us and he disciplines us in various ways to show that we are actually his children. And so how can we cherish and welcome even the hard things that God brings upon us? Remember, God's discipline flows from his love. Second, verse 10, remember, God's discipline is for our good. It's for our good. Look at verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God's discipline is not simply about him showing off his authority, but he does these things to bring himself glory as he makes us look more like Jesus. This means, beloved, there is purpose behind God's discipline. God wants us to reflect the image of our elder brother, Jesus Christ, his holiness, his love, his steadfastness. And so, beloved, this means there is purpose behind every single trial that God sends your way. God's discipline, again, comes in various ways, as we considered earlier. But these things are not arbitrary or meaningless trials, but they are purpose-filled, and they're coming from the loving hand of your father. Remember how Israel had to go through the wilderness for those 40 years, and we're told in that time they were actually disciplined by God. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 8. These are beautiful words. We read here in Deuteronomy 8, And he humbled you and let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your food did not, sweat, did not swell for those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord our God disciplines you. Again, these Hebrew Christians were suffering. They were going through trials. They were going through hardships. They were being persecuted. They were feeling pressure from their family because they were becoming followers of Jesus Christ, leaving Judaism. And God was using all of these pressures, all of these trials to strengthen their faith in an even greater way so that they could join that great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11 and follow the Lord by faith. And notice the preacher's argument here from the lesser to the greater in verse 9 and 10. He says this, Hey, earthly fathers, they discipline us for our good, but they're not perfect. And all the children are saying in their little hearts, Amen. Right? My mom or dad, they are not perfect in their discipline. Right? Parents are not perfect. That's what the preacher is saying here. We have mixed motives at times. Right? The level of discipline that we give, it doesn't always match up. Right? We're not always consistent. Sometimes a parent might discipline out of the wrong heart. And a mom or dad sometimes need to say sorry to their kids. Hey, I'm sorry. I did that wrong. Daddy sinned. Forgive me. But God's discipline is perfect. His motives are always good. His heart is always in the right place. God does so in love and he does so for the right purpose for our good. And because this is true, we can receive the discipline of God when it comes. We could actually invite it. 
We can ask for it because we know that when it comes from God, it's healing to our flesh. When our trials come, we could confidently say, God, I know that you are good, and I know this flows from your heart of love towards me. Strengthen me in you. Use this to make me look more like Jesus. We could say with the psalmist in Psalm 94, verse 12, Blessed is the man that you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. We could say again, Psalm 119:67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. God is a perfect father who knows how to lead us in holiness. God's discipline flows from his love. It's actually a form of his love. God's discipline is for our good. How is it for our good? What we see here in verse 11, God's discipline, it brings about spiritual growth in us. Isn't it true that in everything in life that is important, everything worth doing takes a level of discipline, right? If you want a healthy marriage, you have to be disciplined in spending time together, working on your communication, putting off your selfishness and showing love. If you want a strong relationship with your kids, you need to be disciplined in spending time with them and learning how to communicate with them as well. If you want to get fit, you got to hop on the treadmill. you got to start eating the right foods to help get in better shape. If you want to get really good at an instrument or at a sport, you got to put in the hours of practice, right? Everything worth doing takes a level of discipline. And in each one of these areas of life that is important, what do we often meet? In every area, we meet barriers that make us want to quit, right? We hit plateaus. We meet opposition. Maybe we want to be more disciplined in our devotions, but we just don't sense God's presence anymore when we pray. Maybe we want to grow with our spouse, but we just can't stop fighting for months on end. Maybe we want to connect with our kids, but we just can't seem to reach them at their level. When opposition comes or when we meet barriers, God is calling us to handle that adversity in faith as an opportunity for us personally to grow in the Lord. Notice what the preacher says in verse 11. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. So real. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If you're a person who works out or plays sports, you have probably know the phrase, no pain, no gain, right? If your workouts are always easy and they never stress you out, you're probably not growing very much, right? And the same is true in the Christian faith. No pain, no trials, no testing, then there are no spiritual gains. The preacher wants us to keep this in mind that God is actually using these pains to produce spiritual muscles for running that race of faith that we're on. Uh, NFL football coach Tom Landry is a believer in the Lord and a really great coach, one of the best out there. And he said this, he said, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do so that they can be what they've always wanted to be. 
Again, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do so they can be what they've always wanted to be. See, some of us want to be seasoned Christians who are strong in the faith, have knowledge of the Bible, able to counsel others in the things of Christ. We don't want the trials that help make us those kind of Christians. God is able to bring us through what we don't want to endure so that we might be the followers of Christ that he's that he always wanted us to be. And that's what he's saying here. It's worth it to press on in adversity, even when God seems far away, even when you meet various barriers, even when the road is hard, because discipline, again, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so how are we then to respond? How are we to respond? Again, we are to cherish God's discipline. As the psalmist writes in Psalm 141, verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. And we see here in our text this call to respond. Verse 12, Therefore, beloved, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. You see here, there's a personal thing, isn't there? Personally, we are to be those who are walking in holiness. Personally, we're to be resolved, verse 14, to be at peace with everyone. But we see there's this one anothering aspect too, isn't there? A community aspect. The preacher says, hey, uphold one another in this race that you're on. Make sure no one falls short of the grace of God. In other words, make sure they don't fall short of the finish line. Help one another keep running this race of faith. And it's in this context, beloved, that that word, church discipline, often comes up. What we read about even in our catechism. This is why Jesus talks about it. We do hard things like church discipline because Jesus told us to in Matthew 18. When a person sins against God, what's the process? If that person is not repentant over their sin, Jesus says a brother has an obligation to go to them and to tell them, hey, brother or sister, you need to repent and go back to Christ. This is one of the main ways that discipline takes place, just in the organic one anothering of the faith of a brother or sister reaching out in love to another brother or sister. Hebrews 13, verse 3, exhort one another daily so that we might not become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But what if the person does not listen? Jesus says, secondly, you have to bring someone else with you, a witness. And together you say to that person, right, repent and turn back to Jesus. And if the person repents and they believe, then you have gained your brother or your sister. But if they still refuse, then Jesus says, you have to tell it to the church. At this point, it becomes one of the official church discipline matters that we often think about when we think about that word discipline. But remember, all of those other organic steps that happen first. But Jesus has ordained that there would be a church community where there would be shepherds, and that they would be those who would hear about the strange sheep and would pray for them, would admonish them, 
would encourage them, would summon them back to the fold in love, saying, brother or sister, you are not walking according to your profession of faith. Come back to the Lord Jesus. And after a time of pleading and praying and calling them back as the church body, if they still refuse, Jesus says, you go to that final step of excommunication. See, being part of a church body means that we all have an obligation to one another in this race of faith. When one part is hurting, we should all hurt together. We're called to use our energy together to seek the good, to seek out those who are struggling. This is the call of the body of Christ when it comes to discipline. And so, beloved, in conclusion, if you are going through any type of trial today and you feel like the heavy hand of God is on you in some way, know from God's word that you can be assured if you are a child of God, there is no wrath in your trials, but only the love of your Father. Although, again, we can't understand why God might be bringing upon us some things, like we heard from Asaph in Psalm 73. Again, we could be assured that his discipline, it flows from his love. As Charles Spurgeon once put it, he says, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. May we too have faith to welcome the loving discipline of our Heavenly Father. May we say with David from Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, that is our prayer, that you would search us and that you would conform us to the image of your beloved Son. Cause us by your Holy Spirit to cry out to you, Abba, Father, in every trial that you send our way. And teach us, Lord, what it means to rely, even this week, not upon ourselves, but upon the God who raises the dead. Thank you for your pity. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provision. And thank you as well, Lord, from the discipline that you show to us as your children. Help us to receive all of these things with thanksgiving from your fatherly hand. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have a time of questions and discussion in just a moment. Beloved, as we close this worship service, receive God's parting blessing to know that he is with you in the week ahead. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, any questions or any discussion at this point on this topic of discipline or anything related to it, we welcome any questions or thoughts that you have at this time.